You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Thank you for joining us. My name is Kyle Matthews. Um, I'm the executive director of the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies at Concordia University. Um, We've been organizing several events on Twitter spaces and had quite a few on um on ethiopia in the last year and have had live events as well before covid but uh but today we're um we're pleased to to organize an event with the amhara association of of america to talk about the structural causes of atrocities in ethiopia with a spotlight on the amharas Um, there's been a lot of focus on uh, tigray what's going on there but less less covered in the media and less discussed also is what's happening to the Amharas um, in Ethiopia. So we're really pleased today to um, have um, two um, guests with us. One is uh, Hone Mandefro, um, who's Director of Advocacy of the Amhara Association of America. Uh, also a former, um, how we got to know Hone is he's a former uh, fellow with the Sove Scholar Foundation in Montreal. And he's also um, a doctoral student at Concordia University. And we also are going to be joined by Adam Abebe, um, who's an advisor in peace building, constitution building, democracy, elections and governance, and is affiliated with uh, two different organizations. Um, so I would like to um, maybe, uh, Hone is now, would, would one of your colleagues like to just say something as a co-host or? Uh, hi, Kyle. This is uh, uh, Ted uh, Turfe. I can jump in and say a few words, um, if that's okay. And um, Sure, sure. Adam please go for it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really excited to hear uh, from Hone and Adam about this very, very important topic and um, one that's um, rarely, you know, discussed, and that is the, you know, structural issues in Ethiopia that um, uh, really lends itself to, um, uh, you know, human rights violations uh, against Amaras, but even against other Ethiopians as well. And oftentimes we talk about the specific human rights issues that are being committed, uh, but we never discuss uh, our, you know, not just us, but really uh, the broader human rights community, policymakers do not talk about what the underlying causes are, the structural issues and remediations for these. So I'm really excited to hear what Hone and Adam have to say and um, uh, want to thank Kyle and the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies for co-hosting this. Uh, Kyle, it's great to be connected with you. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we met in 2018. I uh, was invited to uh, Montreal to speak of, at a mixed uh, hosted event. So I wanna thank you for really um, uh, you know, collaborating with us and hosting this event. And hopefully uh, we can continue to have uh, more events with a focus on, on, on Ethiopia, which is really needed at this time. So thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, it's our pleasure to to organize this discussion. And um, I wish we were meeting in person. <laughs> yeah. know, it's, it's more fun to be meeting in person, but at least this allows us to connect with people all over the world and and um, and w- which which is, uh, you know, positive aspects of this technology. Um, I would just like to say um, before I pass to, to Hone to kind of make an opening remark or give his um, his perspective before um, we then go into to, to questions is that we're also going to we'll discuss this with with the speakers, but then we're going to open up the the talk to people that have questions. So I ask everyone if you could just be patient. I see a few people are 
raising their hands they want to speak now um I, i'll ask you uh, just to wait uh, you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes before we turn to that portion of of the event and i just ask everyone uh, as we put this on social media there is a lot of i know these issue um anytime we tweet about ethiopia there's a lot of polarization or things online so i ask everyone please let's keep the civil we're here to discuss human rights and about protecting human rights um and so i ask everyone Please uh, let, 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 let's be in our best behavior and discuss this in, 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 a, in, a, in a positive way. So, so um, um, Hone, I see our, our other uh, our, our other uh, guest speakers arrive, but maybe I would uh, I have got a set of questions, Hone, but but maybe I'll pass to you and maybe just give us kind of a, an overview of of what's happening and, and 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 what should listeners know about what's happening in Ethiopia regarding um, mass atrocities and the Amhara in particular. Thank you, thank you, Kyle. Uh, and yes, we have uh, we have Adam uh, on the speaker now, so um, we're all set to go. Thank you, everyone, for joining. And I'll uh, I'll be very I'll try to be very brief, and I'll give a very broad overview of uh, I guess uh, the structural cause of um, the Amara genocide, as uh, as we say at Triple um, but for those who are not familiar with, you know, the developments in Ethiopia, you know, atrocities against Amaras and um, as their minorities, I guess, uh, have been recurrent since 1991. And although this has, uh, the atrocity level has, has uh, intensified because of the ongoing war, uh, it, it uh, predates the war in, in at least in three decades, like three decades. Uh, but also since, uh, you know, the new prime minister, uh, um, Abiy Ahmed, came to power in 2018, the frequency and the number of casualties um, of, uh, you know, trusts against Amaras has significantly increased. Um, if we see, like, what we documented in our last annual report, that means the annual report for uh, 2021, we were able to document, you know, a total of 213 atrocities, uh, incidents rather, against Amaras uh, in uh, five regions of Ethiopia. That's those regions being Romia, Benishangul, Gomez, Amara, uh, Southern region, and Addis Ababa. And uh, it, because of these 213 uh, kind of incidents, um, at least we were able to verify and, and identify victims uh, of like more than. 3,000 uh, killed and uh, about, um, you know, 1,300 injured, more than 1,000, you know, victims of rape and uh, about 100 um, arrest, arrested arbitrarily and then about 65, I guess, uh, killed, kidnapped. Uh, so that's not obviously uh, the true extent of the atrocities, uh, because at AAA, although we have a team in a, on the ground in Ethiopia documenting and tracking these atrocities against Amaras, we only covered five regions, and even in those five regions, we didn't have access to all areas, and um, and we didn't have the, the the space, financial and organizational capacity to kind of really track all, all incidents in those uh, five regions. Um, but also, I think since uh, 2022, like the incident, the, the attack against Amaras has has really uh, continued to uh, cause more, more, more casualties. Just a couple of months ago, in June, July, you know, there were there were um, re re recurrent uh, massacres, genocide and massacres against Amaras. Um, 
and uh, and that's one of uh, the incidents uh, that the human rights watch um released its, its recent report which documented uh, toxic hours uh, about 400 people killed but there was another also another incident uh, just a couple of weeks after that who is uh, at least um, the same or even higher number of casualties. So first first point I want to make is, you know, atrocities against Amaris have been ongoing since 1990s, but the scale and frequency has, has uh, uh, you know, risen significantly over the last uh, few years. And at Triple we say these atrocities are, you know, amount to uh, genocide because uh, we have seen a consistent pattern. One of these patterns is being, you know, the intention is to eliminate Amaras, uh, and this is what the, the the survivors have been saying. A lot of times they were told, like, you know, to leave that area, to you know, should not be in that area, and being told, you know, this is not your country. So then there's an intention of like basically targeting and and uh, cleansing Amaras and and that, therefore because of that intention we say uh, it's a, it's a genocide and that has been going on for decades. But the casualty, as I explained, is large scale. But also there's state denial and complicity. The state oftentimes when Amaras are killed, um, you know, the state doesn't take any significant. Um, action against perpetrators. In fact, uh, if you see some of uh, the incidents, these were committed by the state machinery. For instance, in Oromiel, uh, we documented about uh, uh, 37, uh, exactly 37 uh, Amaras killed by Oromiel regional uh, forces. So the state is not only complicit in, 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 but also killing directly uh, people. Another form of, you know, the uh, state complicity is like, you know, when the residents tell uh, officials that they, they, they are scared and they need to protect them, they will tell them like, you're not our responsibility, go to your, your country, so to say. So because of this, we say it's a, it's a, it's a crime that amounts to genocide. Um, but you know this also is happening um, in in areas where Amaras are politically minority, not necessarily demographic, but because in areas such as Matakal they are dominant uh, or the numeric majority, but they don't have political representation. So uh, you know it's effectively they are political minorities, and this is because of like you know the constitutional system, which I I, I will let Adam go. In depth, but in a nutshell, you know, the constitution divides the country into ethnic homelanders, and um, Oromia belongs to Oromos, um, um, and uh, Afar belongs to the Afars, and therefore, you know, the the, the Amaras, uh, according to this constitutional system, uh, are are, are uh, not citizens. In fact, I would argue they are stateless. Amaras in Oromia, Amaras in Matakal, they are stateless because the state doesn't recognize them as a citizen. And they don't uh, see um, the, them as uh, as uh, needing protection, or it's not the state's duty to protect them. But beyond that, I think there is uh, while this uh, constitutional arrangement makes uh, minorities that are outside their designated homeland vulnerable. When it comes to Amaras, there's a particular reason uh, and structure that makes them uh, vulnerable. One. That lasts for decades, and uh, and this is, I think, um, that's related to the way scholars write about Ethiopia. Um, you know, often most of the the literature on on Africa tend to, you know, uh, assume like there is a designated, uh, you know, colonial master that's messing up that's messing up the country. 
but in, in the case of Ethiopia, there is no colonial master that uh, the analysis should begin with. And therefore, in 1960s and 1970s, basically, some leftist activists start to present Amaris as dominant groups because Amaric is speak and widespread. And, uh, and, and because of that, you know, there's a narrative of like, you know, Amaris are like the dominant group and the rest are oppressed. And there's really a scholarship that's based on scapegoating Amaras. Uh, and some scholars even went into like insulting Amaras on a record saying like, you know, they're schizophrenic, they're uh, only Christian as well. Actually, a significant majority, uh, a significant number of Amaras are Muslims and there are active political leaders uh, who are Muslims among Amaras. So that resulted in a simplistic policy understanding globally, which, uh, you know, goes into, okay, when we approach Ethiopia, who is the dominant and who is, and therefore because of that, because of that literature that depicted Amaras as only as dominant is really refusal and denial of Amaras as victims. And that's continuing uh, to perpetuate, you know, the, 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 the the victimization of Amaras, and this is uh, something that we are dealing with in in, in policy circles in more globally. So uh, I think fi my final word is, I think, as has been said, uh, there are structural causes uh, for for you know atrocities against minorities more broadly. But for Amaras, I think the underlying reason is go beyond the constitution to uh, to make up you know epistemic violence and scapegoating. And I think we need to go beyond treating symptoms to calling out these underlying reasons to, you know, ensure protect minority protection in Ethiopia and uh, and and Amara genocide in Ethiopia. I'll stop there. Thank you, Honey, for that for that uh, really detailed presentation. Um, for those of you who are on the call, that if you're not following Hone uh, or our other guest speaker, please give them a follow. Um, and I, I just want to say there's been some comments coming in saying, are you going to record this? And the, the, I would just like to say, yes, we're recording it. So the audio will be available after this event. Um, and just for those listening in, just to, to reconfirm what Hone said, that this week Human Rights Watch put out a report uh, titled Ethiopia Civilians in Western Oromia Left Unprotected. Armed groups killed hundreds of Amaras in June massacre. Independent inquiries needed. And so it talks about the really focuses Human Rights Watch on the state has not taken responsibility and, and must investigate and be transparent. So I, I think that's a key issue that um, under international law, all governments must must do this. So I would now uh, like to um, go to our, our next speaker. Um, um, as I, I introduced uh, him at the start, Adam Abebe. Uh, Adam is an advisor in peace building, constitution building, democracy, elections and governance. He's affiliated with two different organizations. Um, Adam, great, great to have you here. Sorry you had some technical problems joining us, but but you're with us now, so I'd like to give you the floor. Thank, thank you very much, Kyle, and thank you very much, Hona, also for, for the invitation. Um, and, and, and so just to follow up on the background, I was asked to speak on what I believe are the, the structural causes uh, of, of the violence. So I'm going to try and take us a little bit backwards and start from from mainly the the, the 1960s, uh, but I'll, I'll and then building up, build it up, build it up. And I hope to finish in five, six, six minutes. Um, first, I think that the main challenge in Ethiopia, I believe, is uh, social political culture, um, you know, socially and particularly also because of the, the dominance of religion for a long time. Uh, the thinking is that there's always one way, one right way, um, and therefore also one one right group. 
or one uh, one political political idea and by the time ethiopia kind of uh, started multi you know pluralist pluralist politics is particularly in the 1960s this social culture of one way was was reinforced uh, by uh, a political culture of ideological puri purity um and so, so you have this combination of social and political culture that believes in one right way um and that and, and when you combine that with with structures and systems and groups um that leads to extensive uh, political uh, violence but also a violence that is based on uh, ideology um and particularly since the, the 1960s um, a narrative that is based on identity that is based on uh, oppression and oppressor emerged and so you have you know you have the political and social culture and you have this narrative uh, of of oppression and of of, of the oppressed um, and all of that so it, a lot of people think the narrative but it's actually the narrative uh, that created the constitution um, essentially what the constitutional framework does is it it institutionalized identity politics um it sedimented it it kind of gave gave the the soul of of the narrative uh, the eyes the hands the teeth the nose that it essentially gave it the face um and so you have now uh, a historical narrative uh, that one group this or another group was was dominant was oppressive and these other groups were oppressed and that, that is combined with political parties that are organized along ethno-linguistic lines. Uh, you have public media organized also along, uh, um, along uh, ethno-linguistic lines. Uh, and increasingly, as particularly at the moment, uh, you have essentially armies that are organized along ethno-linguistic lines. Um, and so in combination, um, what, what the constitutional framework and the narrative that, that it reflects created is a sense of ownership of areas by certain groups, you know, uh, and it leads to a, a hierarchy of citizenship. Um, and, and so whether that is the intention of the constitutional, uh, the constitution makers or not, in reality, uh, if you are not considered as part of a particular ethno-linguistic group in a particular area, you are a second-class citizen. And so you have very little uh, rights uh, and particularly, there is very little political representation. And so, so essentially, that political culture of a single right way uh, the, the, and that narrative of, of historical domination and oppression um, and a constitutional framework uh, that essentially has created hierarchies, hierarchy among citizens, in practice at least, uh, has, has meant that uh, individuals that, because of historical reasons, have been mobile, particularly those belonging to the Amhara, uh, belonging to Tigray, uh, and also partly the Grage, but also the, the Oromos in certain areas have been victims of of uh, of, uh, of violence. And so, um, in the past uh, thirty years, the the violence has principally been along ethno-linguistic lines, but also in some cases along re religious lines. Um, but ultimately, uh, whether the violence is based on politic political idea. Uh, or based on identity, the root cause is the idea that there is a single uh, right way, and that leads to a, a sort of political fundamentalism um, in such a way that at the moment, the Ethiopian constitution, um, in its efforts, in its attempt to recognize uh, linguistic, ethno-linguistic groups, 
it had to deny the presence or the existence of an Ethiopian identity. Um, and so just to, to quickly summarize, I think, um, you know, the, the constitution is sort of a narrative uh, and the question then has sedimented and institutionalized that, that narrative um, and gave, given it the tools, the capabilities um, to cause as, 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 as we have seen in the past, in the past years, but, but throughout the last three decades, um, violence uh, of, of, of huge, huge proportions, particularly, particularly targeting the Amhara, um, uh, but overall affecting individuals that happen to find themselves in areas that the constitution um, says belongs to, to certain uh, ethno-linguistic groups. I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, for, for that overview. And, and I think it's a fascinating um, discussion about how the constitution uh, is organized and how it's leading today to, to, to minorities in areas where their political minorities are facing atrocities. And, and, um, and I, I would like to ask people that are listening in, if you have a question or would like to pose a question, please, uh, you can click on the, on the bottom and, and ask to, to be a speaker and, and I could allow you to take the floor. Um, if uh, you're too shy, I understand, but, but please, the best part about these spaces is actually having um, audience participation. Uh, and I do, I do think um, this, this and, and I say this coming from Canada, there isn't a lot of media focus as much on Ethiopia. Um, you know, so, so I think it's very useful for us as a Canadian organization to host these talks and allow people to better understand what's happening internally. Um, because I, I, I say this as someone who shared stories on Twitter about Ethiopia or, or human rights abuses, I, I often get targeted saying I'm a colonialist and I should stop sharing information. And, and this discussion is so much richer because we're not understanding the structural issues um, uh, behind some of the violence. I'm wondering, Hone, uh, uh, um, and, and if, if you have thoughts about, so is the... The long-term solution then is to somehow change the constitution, but but what in the medium term can be done to protect uh, civilians, to protect Amharas who are facing uh, violence, as as is clearly indicated in in the Human Rights Watch report this week, and as I mentioned at the start, also Amnesty International put out a detailed report in February of this year um, outlining uh, atrocity crimes. So so what could be done? Is it is it is it more diplomacy? Is it is it is it more media attention? Um, is it uh, you know lobbying the African Union to get more engaged? I'm just wondering what 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 could be one of the pathways um, to to protect civilians in Ethiopia. Um, th thank you for that question, Kyle. I think um, um, probably the first step should be to allow um, or pressure the government to accept you know independent investigations into this. Uh, um, in atrocities against Amaras uh, and others elsewhere. Um, one of the recommendations I think Human Rights Watch uh, suggested was, you know, this, the government should investigate what happened. I think that's that's uh, to me that's a bit uh, you know problematic because as we as I mentioned um, earlier, the state itself is is part of you know the perpetrators, and you cannot expect the same state structure that's complicit in the crime to investigate. And this is precisely why, despite the public outcry, despite pressure on the government, uh, the government refused to, to really even recognize there's a problem. There was a, 
a particular episode in the in the in the federal parliament where uh, a few Amara representatives were pushing for the federal parliament to even you know recognize uh, the killing of like hundreds of people uh, in in that um, incident human rights watch uh, just released a report about and the speaker was you know dismissive uh, eventually they they uh, went on came back and and kind of agreed for one minute silence and uh, set up a committee that was mentioned in the in the in the human rights watch report again but nothing concrete happened and i don't expect nothing uh, anything meaningful to to happen because the state is implicated in this so i think the first thing is we need uh, pressure on the on the government to allow you know independent uh, human rights organizations um, to to carry in-person investigation because so far not many uh, human rights organizations were allowed to go into the country and uh, um, many of the organizations are trying to do this from remote and uh, and uh, that's that's i think the first thing but there's an ongoing you know un mandated uh, uh, independent commission investigation uh, we are hoping that they will uh, capitalize on this uh, cooperation on the on the level of cooperation however minimal that has been the state gave to this commission to to investigate these all comprehensive atrocities particularly uh, about against the Marasino Romea region and and certain the factors uh, because that's I think not that because not that we don't know who are responsible and all that I think even the recent human rights Watch report just confirmed what we have reported earlier at AAA. But I think that uh, perception of like you know independence, independency is is important um, in, in a country like Ethiopia. So the UN uh, mandated uh, commission hopefully will look into that. When that happens, I think there is obviously a need for not only uh, more media coverage, but I guess the media coverage itself has been a little bit problematic because. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, a lot of sensationalization and and even you know biased. Uh, there's a lot of uh, obviously you know there are people who think that's conspiracy. But my my assessment is, you know, that's the nature of media. They tend to jump into something that uh, has already got attention as a way of you know uh, getting more readership. So the, 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 yes, we need more media attention, but that media attention should reflect you know. Uh, the atrocities uh, uh, that happen everywhere and definitely need to go beyond Tigray because right now uh, that's that's uh, the most I think the single kind of uh, focus every media is jumping into. They need to report on that, but I think we need to uh, we need the media to pay attention to what's happening elsewhere, particularly uh, 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 about um, against Amaras in in Oromia. Uh, in the, I think in the midterm, you know, this this investigation and media attention should really uh, lead into some concrete form of uh, accountability because uh, the impunity culture has been, you know, one of the reasons why you know nothing is happening or the state officials don't feel pressured. I think um, the media need to really beyond just reporting this many people killed need to dig into um, uh, naming and shaming um, officials that are complicit, officials that uh, really ignore their responsibility and also perpetrators. And that goes into Human Rights Watch and other organizations as well. We're very careful 
in their uh, blaming of perpetrators. I think there's enough evidence to really be forthcoming and, and really call out these names uh, because um, because that's that's when we start to uh, put pressure uh, on these perpetrators. Those are some of the short-term, I guess, suggestions I will have. Uh, and I, I also invite, I guess, Adam to, to add one because I think he also might have uh, some additional ones. Thank you, Hone. I see we have two people that are requesting to post questions, but I would like, if you could just stay patient for a few minutes, I would like to to ask Adam if he has any thoughts uh, on what kind of policy response or what can be done in the short term to protect civilians in Ethiopia. Um, th- th- thank you very much, Kyle. Um, obviously, investigation is critical um, to find those responsible and to hold them accountable. And perhaps as crucially, also important to focus on the victims, to take care of them, uh, to satisfy their needs. Uh, the, you know, those that have been that have been murdered, those that have been displaced, those whose properties have been looted. So, you know, there is it's important uh, to focus not just on holding those accountable, but also supporting the victims. Um, but obviously, this is really, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a parasitical in terms of of the the, the country faces. Um, uh, Origins of it said um, is is the narrative, and so uh, even if some people suggest that the constitution should be changed, uh, if we do not address the, the narrative that led to the the constitution, uh, one it would be hard to change it, and in fact the fact that the constitution is there uh, kind of becomes very you know the status quo is is harder to change, um, and so the most important uh, point is to recognize that this is this is political in political contestation. Um, and if we rely on instance force uh, or threat or fear, or essentially using the law um, to subdue political political difference and political violence, uh, it will ne- it will not lead to sustainable solutions. And so, um, what is important, I think, is that you know, if you look at the uh, the former uh, uh, ruling party, the EPRDF, the the Tigrayan led the TPLF led EPRDF, they used force and control. Uh, to create uh, at least a form of negative, but it was less. Um, at the moment, and, and I think that that has shown us that you cannot use force and, and the power of the law uh, to re- to address narrative contestations, political contestations and political narratives. And so it's very important to achieve, to enable and achieve a new political settlement. Uh, and that obviously requires a, a genuine, inclusive national dialogue uh, and that national dialogue then might lead to to change that may entail constitutional constitutional reform. And so essentially, the building should be an effort to create a new political settlement um, among all political actors, among among the you know the, the, the diverging narratives. Um, if that, that that's not achieved, if we impose a new constitutional framework, uh, we'll we will only make things uh, things worse. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. So I saw we had two requests, but one one is left. So I'm going to um, hey, hey, Kyle. Uh, this ask is, the, the, yes. This is this is Ted. Um, do you mind if I jump in and just ask a question that may uh, th- that goes along with a topic to Adam uh, specifically, and maybe Hone can can chime in. And it's really um, around the structural issues, the uh, the structural causes. And okay. So so, so 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 go ahead with your question, and then after that, I'm going to ask the. Um, the Twitter sure. account, the Pan African, uh, is after you. So please ask your question, and I'm gonna then I'm gonna make that uh, Twitter account, the Pan African, also a speaker. Okay, perfect. Hey, Adam. Um, 
Can you give examples in, uh, of some of the structures or the system with at the regional, uh, the different regional, um, uh, the different regions within Ethiopia, and also at the federal level? Um, you know that uh, that is the cause of uh, human rights violations against Amaras. Um, so I think that's one thing that we haven't you know heard of is you know examples. Thank you. Um, sh shall I jump in, Kyle? Yes, yes. Go, for, please uh, respond. Then, then after that, we'll uh, we'll go to um, to um, other speaker. Well, so as I said, I think the, the the source of the violence is the narrative, uh, a skewed narrative that certain groups were were oppressors and others were the oppressed. Um, and at the regional level, indeed, if you look at some of the regional constitutions, uh, they specifically all of them uh, indirectly. Institutions in Presley state that certain areas belong to certain people. And if, if you are not a member of that group, uh, you are automatically uh, politically disempowered. So you have no genuine voice and you certainly don't have representation in political decision making processes. And of course, what that means is that um, even if you have complaints, even if you want to use the state apparatus, the law enforcement, um, uh, uh, apparatus structures of a particular state, uh, you would be seen as an outsider, essentially. Um, and, and so, basically, to, to cut it short, almost all the regional constitutions indirectly, and some of them expressly, uh, decide who is the owner, uh, quote-unquote, of a certain area and who is not. Essentially, who is the guest uh, and who is, uh, who is the, the, the host. And, and, of course, what that means is that uh, there is a, a clear hierarchy of citizenship, if at all you are considered as a citizen uh, at the national level. Um, at the federal level, I think, you know, there's a, a several factors, but for me, the key factor uh, for the, um, uh, what, what we see as discrimination and clientelism, and, and essentially, uh, it's my, you know, the sense of my turn, um, I think that's, you know, a lot of people don't talk, talk about it, but for me, the main reason is that the bureaucracy um, is is entirely dependent on on the politics. So the law enforcement, the judiciary, even, uh, and particularly, you know, if you like, look at tax the tax authorities, all the bureaucracy depends on on the politics. And so what that means is that whoever controls the political power has tremendous tremendous opportunities uh, to distort and benefit uh, whoever they they want. And so it, it creates the dependence of the bureaucracy. Law enforcement, tax authorities, everything uh, creates massive, massive possibilities for rent and, and discrimination. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. I'm now going to ask, um, we have the Pan-African Collective uh, uh, account that we made a speaker. If you have a question, I'd ask you to please, um, please uh, press unmute and, and pose your question or make your comment. Okay, th thanks for the opportunity. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, yeah, it was a, a question just and just also like a, a statement. Um, as, so I, I just want to start off with saying, um, so we see that, you know, the Amara genocide, um, you know, it's it's been it's been here for 40, 50 years, like Adam and, uh, um, you know, Ted's mentioned. And then, of course, it's still ongoing, right? In the Oromia region, specifically like Walaga, see Mateka, where we're seeing um, the third offensive, which has still been a war. But we've seen, of course, um, you know, they try to deem it or the, the Abiy Ahmed government had tried to make it like the war had stopped. But no, it still was going on. Um, how I see it is just that now there's a full force offense for the third time. 
by the TPLF. And, you know, they're laying a waste to, um, you know, my region as well, Dia, Kobo City. I mean, many places, many massacres going on. But how I look at it is so recently, I think it was two two days ago, if I'm mistaken, um, where two, three days ago, where, um, you know, the United Nations uh, Security General um, had a secret meeting uh, and it was uh, caught red handed uh, with the uh, uh, with the Debris, you know, of TPLF. So and then we have people like the, you know, the WHO leader, World Health Organization, uh, Dr. Tedros, who has been um guilty of of sterilizing a moral woman so we have these power uh dynamics of people um the united nations security general who has a who has a very um responsibility as the united nations security general and he showed his bias right uh these couple of days and then we, there's been previous un meetings and uh with tplf members so my issue is how do we, because, you know, we, we see the TPLF propaganda being, um, you know, really spilled out through the world um, at, at such an alarming rate. I mean, we're seeing writers, we're seeing uh, amnesty. We've even seen amnesty people connected to the TPLF in amnesty. That's how bad it is. You know, we have people like Susan Rice, Obama. We have people like Senator Blinken that have a heart or connection or uh, slept in bed with TPLF. So, we have all these uh, moving parts and how I look at it is the advocacy for the Marpy, which is the facts. This is evidence. This is not propaganda uh, that have been suffering to really get it out there. Um, I think uh, part of the, how I look at it is, is uh, I think Kyle, you mentioned it earlier, lobbying, right? Lobbying, you know, House Representative Center, especially from the states in the United States, because the United States spends like, I think, 30 to 32% of funding the United Nations. So, um, if you can lobby, you know, possibly your inner senators, you know, make sure to to get them to fulfill what you'd like or how they would um, look at the foreign policy towards um, looking at how they see Ethiopia and actually um, seeing the correct perspective, right? So how I look at specifically about the United Nations Security General to them, to him being caught, um, Antonio being caught just the other day, two, two, two days ago, two, three days ago, um, it's it's very it's kind of appalling. So how do you guys think, um, Ted and Adam, and maybe even Honey, how how we're moving forward with uh, biases on the highest level in the United Nations, um, and also uh, the you know the West uh, just supporting TPLF, you know, even aid being more so concentrated in Tigray, more so than really focusing it on you know helping the Mara region. I mean. It's, it's a lot of bias. And so um, how do you think we can tackle it? Because I know people have reached out to the United Nations, but they haven't been, um, at least from how I see it, uh, helpful as they should be, you know. Um, and so it makes me think that when we think about human rights or when we think about un being unbiased or being justice, uh, having justice, the United Nations has no right to talk about human rights or justice to when they're having conversation with a terrorist group like TPLF or, um, or also uh, supporting certain issues, like even just in Africa, it's just, it's the hypocrisy, you know? So, uh, or even the West, America, we see America, uh, any country it's gone, it's destabilized it, whether it's Libya, Afghanistan, we go on and on. So it's the hypocrisy to talk about human rights 
and then not even support the real thing, which is the Amara issue and even the Afars, right? Uh, and we're seeing that it's becoming a, kind of like a propaganda issue. So how do we really tackle uh, for people to really understand that? Because it's still, we've been talking about this for months, for, I mean, it's been more than a year, uh, and they're still doing the same thing. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. Um, Hone, uh, uh, Adam, I don't know if you want to reply to that yet or if I should, uh, there's a few other people that wanted to pose a question, me a comment. What would you like me to do? Can can you can you mute my uh, minds uh, because it's it's not uh, muting off. I don't know. Why. Okay, I'll I'll remove yeah. you from the speakers. Okay, there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Carl, maybe we can take well, I think a couple of more and then come okay. back uh, for that would be efficient, I guess. Okay, because we have about fifteen minutes left, so let me see. So we have. I'm going to make uh, um and I apolo- apologies if I'm not pronouncing your name, but uh, Derese, dad, husband, associate professor of sociology. I'm going to add you as a speaker. So please. If you have a comment or question, please go ahead. Thank you. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can. Right. I have a question for Hane. Um, you know, when you talk about atrocities against the Maharas, uh, especially over the past four years, you mentioned about atrocities in Oromia. And I heard you a couple of times suggesting that this was done uh, not just by other groups, uh, but also by the state apparatus. In other words, you know, original officials, what are the officials in Oromia are either complicit or else they are the ones primarily responsible for the atrocities done against the Amhara. My question for you is, uh, are you insinuating, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, these atrocities are primarily conducted by the Abiy government itself? Um, and what do you make of the distinction? A lot of us would like to draw between OLF, Shane, and, uh, and uh, the government. Uh, second question I have is for Adam. And, uh, you know, Adam, we've been talking about this for quite a bit now, but uh, it really fascinates me about where Amhara nationalism, the, the idea of not just vouching for and stressing the plights and the grievances of the Amhara um, had to be addressed, that idea of we have to stand, we have to vanguard and safeguard the plight of the Amhara is headed. Uh, Because on the one hand, I see this analysis that Amharas have been victimized because of the constitution, the ethno-federal arrangement, the narratives that uh, single-handedly blame the Amharas for all the plights of uh, Ethiopia as a modern state. Um, And hence saying, unless these structures are addressed in a very fundamental way and uh, some sort of a liberal democratic dispensation is in place, the plight of the Amhara would not be addressed. But on the other hand, the Amharas themselves are organizing as an ethnic group. Uh, they usually, um, you know, do not build, I'm talking about Amhara nationalists, uh, bridges or alliances with the others. And it's very difficult, honestly, to build such a bridge because who do you do it with? The TPLF? The OLF? <laughs> who are the alliances that you can possibly imagine Amhara nationalism would be pulsed with, alliances with. So what do you think is the prospect of, you know, um, you know, vouching for Amhara plights and stressing the needs of the Amhara? So uh, Hone, uh, Adam, I'm not sure if you want to, uh, who wants to um, uh, take the floor? 
Um, I, I can go ahead. I, I guess I've unmuted myself, uh, and Adam hasn't. So uh, I'll, I'll start from the Dr. Doris's question about you know the the trustees in Oromia and the responsibilities. So what we know is um, like, for instance, in the last uh, in 2021, there were um, 11 incidents where Oromo special forces killed 36 people. Uh, while the Oromo Liberation Army uh, killed about 1,176 Amaras in 124 incidents. And um, really, like, so in terms of who is killing Amaras there, both the government structure and the rebels. And this is because uh, the, both, you know, OLA and uh, Oromia region um, are fighting, Oromia region officials are fighting over power. But when it comes to Amara's place in Oromia, both agree on the same political project of like, you know, you know, Amara shouldn't be there. Uh, the Oromia belongs to Oromos. And, you know, this is a document that both parties support. Like if you look into the Oromia regional government constitution that says, you know, sovereign power resides you know, uh, among, among Oromos uh, or the urban, the Oromia regional urban uh, proclamation, which says irrelevant of like who is the numeric majority when it comes to urban areas, Oromos uh, would, would decide on that. And I can go on and go on uh, to talk about like, you know, how this view of, you know, uh, political exclusion of Amaras and non-Oromos in Oromia is, is a, is something that's interesting in the constitutional system. And as you know, both ONA and the uh, government officials in Oromia support the current constitutional arrangement. So you, you, you see Oromo Special Forces basically telling them, you know, Amaras, whenever they alert them uh, of attack by ONA, they would tell them, like, you, you shouldn't be here. And uh, they also go in and, and kill them. So there's a detailed... Uh, you know, narrative of how these two uh, actors, although they are fighting over power, coordinate when it comes to, you know, cleansing Amaras from Oromia. And that is precisely because both agree on the political project of cleansing Amaras from Oromia. Um, when it comes to, I think that's, that's to, to, to the question about, uh, you know, responsibility of different uh, actors in Oromia on, uh, on atrocities against Tamaras. But earlier comment about Biazis, I think, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, yes, there is, uh, you know, disproportionate coverage and even refusal to recognize Amaras as, as, as victims. But I think uh, it, would be, um, it would be unhelpful to really fall into sweeping generalization, you know, saying like everybody in the West is, is supporting TPLF. I think uh, from advocacy point of view, that's a defeatist, defeatist mentality. And I think uh, it's, it's also, it's basically telling ourselves, even if we do something, then nothing is going to change. But our experience at AAA has shown us that, you know, even if uh, there is bias, you know, the more you work with people, the more you educate these Western policymakers, the more you call them out for their biases, they will be inclined to be more you know, uh, balance it. And, and I think uh, I don't want to go into specific, you know, actors or names, but generally, yes, I agree there are biases, but the, the response from us really shouldn't be, you know, saying nothing will change, but rather 
pushback against that bears because some of it is really coming from um, a place of not knowing the detail, the, the complexities in Ethiopia. And even if it's intentional, the only way to fix that is by calling out people and continue engaging with them. Um, th 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 thank you very much, uh, Pan-African and Arasa and Hona also for, for taking some of the points. Um, I'll actually like to start from the point that the Ressa made, and uh, um, so you know you, you're right. At least you know the so far stronger Amhara, Amhara nationalist ideals. Uh, I think one of the biggest dilemmas they face is, is that uh, one, it's quite reactive; it's newer in in a way uh, compared to the the nationalisms, the ethno-linguistic nationalisms that we see everywhere. One of the, the the, the Amhara nationalism faces is that its strategy actually works against its objective, right? So as a strategy, they have to promote Amhara identity. Uh, they have to essentially put the Amharas on the map, but as an objective, at least the, the traditional, let me call them the traditional Amhara nationalists, their objective to, uh, is to actually build an Ethiopia that is based on equality, uh, an Ethiopia that is essentially based on, um, uh, based on ideas, right? Um, so that group faces that constant dilemma of a strategy that undermines its objectives. And I think that's why they have been struggling uh, to build them, th themselves uh, as, as a strong, uh, strong force. But increasingly, and I must say this, perhaps we can call them the new Amhara um, nationalists. Um, there is a new one that, that, is, that kind of has set its objectives in line with the strategy. They, you know, there's even a, this sense um, created for us. Uh, bringing all the Amharas that are dispersed across the country to the Amhara region um, and building a, a powerful Amhara state, even possibly an Amhara state that that's uh, outside of outside of Ethiopia. I mean, this is still a fringe identity, I think, the fringe group. Uh, but I agree with you that uh, the, the the Amhara nationalism that we know has that struggle, that tension between an objective that is pan-Ethiopian, when you look deeper, and a strategy that contradicts that. And so this con that's why inherently it's quite a, an unstable uh, uh, grouping. But as I said, increasingly, there is a new, it's still a fringe one, I, I must say, but there is a new Amhara nationalism uh, that uh, used a strategy that's consistent with an objective, uh, which whose objective is not focused on Ethiopia, but focused on, an, on creating an Amhara identity. Um, and of course, I think what all of this has created is a competition within Amharas. Um, and obviously, the, the Oromos have, have been facing that for, for very long, uh, since the ninth, early 90s. In an inter-Oromo competition, in particular, since then. Um, but now we are seeing that within, within Amhara as well. And of course, that undermines uh, the, 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 the cohesiveness uh, of uh, of the group and and the, its ability to advance um, a strategic uh, a, a strategic objective vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the Ethiopian state and other political groups. Um, in terms of the point that um, Pan African made, I think you know it's very important. I, obviously, I, I want to go back to we should not that there is one solution. There is one problem. Um, and so obviously at the moment there's a lot of anger uh, and, and of course the history of the TPLF and all. Uh, but we should not think that getting rid of the TPLF uh, will solve Ethiopian problems. I think this is the mistake that we consistently made as, as Ethiopians. 
Um, there is not single sing, a single problem, and there's certainly not a single group that that is a a, a problem of uh, of Ethiopia. As I said, the only way, and this is very important, uh, if we want a strategic solution to address the uh, against Amparas, it's very important, and this is very important. We cannot impose an idea or a framework on anyone. So we we will need the the national dialogue uh, to work, and in that process, of course, Amharas of various colors uh, should be able to represent their, their views, their perspectives, uh, and, and how all of that should be given institutional uh, manifestation. But I'll conclude with this. I think, uh, and I must agree with, with Pan-African that uh, in, in the past two years, since the war in, started in November 2020, uh, the, the reputation of Amharas uh, has, has, you know, the, 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 the attack on the reputation of Amharas, which, was, which historically was, you know, within Ethiopia. You know, for three decades, perhaps even, even more, the Amharas were is essentially, you know, viewed as the oppressing group. Um, and even if some intellectuals try to make a distinction between Amhara elites and Amhara, the broader Amhara public, uh, in reality, those differences don't really matter. What is, is that that's, that damage to the reputation of Amharas has been internationalized. Um, and I don't think I think there has been sufficient sufficient defense um, uh, against that. But you know, I must say um, again that uh, we should not we should not think whether whether other Amharas or other groups. We should not think that our problem is one group or one 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 particular uh, political political idea. We must promote even as we we protest the victimization that happens across the country. Um, and I must say that whether one calls it uh, genocide or crimes against humanity, it actually detracts us uh, from fighting the, 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 the structural cause, from identifying them and, and trying alongside the rest of the country, uh, trying to find a solution that works for, for, for everyone. Um, I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. So, so we're, we're almost out of time, but I would like to maybe just ask two I know there's five requests. Unfortunately, we can't bring you all up, but I would like to ask, um, uh, I'll invite two people that are waiting in line um, and ask you just to keep it very short, you know, 45 seconds a minute of the question or comment you want to make. So I'm going to invite uh, Seydali, apologies if I'm not pronouncing your name properly, and Adam Reinhold. So I'm going to pass ask you, the speaker, please unmute yourself uh, and pose the question or make a comment that you'd like. Yeah. Um... Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity. I, uh, I I missed a good part of it, I believe, um, just joined, but I didn't want to miss this opportunity to ask a question for my co former colleague, Hone Mandafro, because uh, a, a couple of days ago, I saw Hone tweeted something that, that's really intriguing, and I wanted to ask you further to, 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 to explain on that. Hona, you said, regardless of who wins and how it ends, this war will fundamentally change Ethiopia. I completely agree with you. I have said that from day one, the war broke out. Uh, and you also said because of the war and Amhara genocide, Amhara's position vis-a-vis -vis the Ethiopian state has changed. I think we all agree with that. Here is my question then, Hone. I wanted to know whether or not there is a conversation within your group uh, uh, among like-minded people advocating for uh, a peaceful 
uh, relationship of the Amhara community with the Ethiopian state. Is there any conversation happening that indicates as to where exactly is the Amhara politics going to locate itself as we go by vis-a-vis -vis the Ethiopian state? This is one question I wanted to ask you. The second one is, what is the defining ideological uh, roadmap that the Amhara politics is going to bring into a future Ethiopian state or even the Ethiopian state that we are currently living as messy and chaotic and um, uh, full of wars as it is? What kind of roadmap is the Amhara politics going to introduce to a future Ethiopian state? I'm asking you this question because one of the um, leading uh, hopes that the Amhara have had when the prime minister came to power was the change of the constitution. There was a lot of hope pinned in that. And it does not look like that the prime minister is an agent that you hoped him to be that would see or oversee the change or the amendment or the repealment of this constitution. So what is it then the Amhara politics is going to bring into a future Ethiopian state? And how do you define that as we go by? Lastly, I know I'm, I'm burdening you this because I don't have this opportunity earlier. Lastly, I wanted to ask you whether or not you see a future Amhara state, regional state itself, not just the relationship to the Ethiopian state, but a regional state that's strong, cohesive, and led by uh, a, 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 you know, a future-looking political program in the state itself, within the Amhara state itself. Do you see that kind of strong Amhara state emerging as we go by? Thank you, Hone. So, Hone, but before you respond, I'd like to ask one last person to make a comment, and then we're gonna then we'll go to your 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 response to that. Okay, so please hold on. Um, I would like to ask Adam Reinholdson uh, at Eskinder88 if you could unmute yourself and, and just pose the question or comment that you had. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. First of all, I just want to commend you guys for having you know, a great discussion. You know, I've learned uh, quite a bit, but uh, I would like to cover a couple of things that was uh, mentioned. As, as far as, you know, uh, international investigation or independent investigation uh, regarding what's happening in Ethiopia. As we know that, you know, these uh, NGOs and uh, international organization have shown uh, bias toward, especially to Africans. And at times, these organizations have been used by the Western countries as a, a tool to destabilize countries. And I'm not saying this just because, you know, I, you know, I have you know, some kind of disagreements or I have something against uh, these organizations. There is a precedence to these organizations. As we speak about uh, Libya, I think somebody mentioned that earlier. It was an uh, uh, Amnesty International report uh, that uh, indicated that there was a, uh, Gaddafi was committing some crime within its country. So that led to NATO invading that country and completely destabilizing it. And then later on, the British Parliament stated that particular uh, report had no merits at all, and it should not have been considered to wage war on Libya. So with that, why would you know any African or any organization that supports African people will invite these institutions 
that have shown, you know, uh, bigotry to us, that have been used as a tool against us to destabilize us time and time again. So why would any reputable person that fights for us, for Africans, would invite these individuals or these entities to come and destabilize us further? Please, I know, answer that. And thanks for giving me the time. Okay, thank you for your comment. So um, I'm going to uh, ask... Uh, both Hone and Adam. Um, uh, Hone, you can respond to the one of these questions. Adam, you as well, and then we're going to wrap up. So please. Um, th thank you, Kyle. Uh, and uh, thank you, Sadal, for those questions. It's good to hear your voice. Um, I mean, obviously, as you would uh, appreciate, the questions are, you know, very um, deep, and we need to, we would need more time, uh, you know, to unpack the questions and go in detail. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll do that in, in another platform. But just to quickly talk about, you know, um, the uh, that to it and what I meant by that, I think there was uh, obviously the, the Amara genocide and, and the, really the lack of recognition and uh, lack of empathy uh, about it from, from other ethnic group elites. Have have fueled resentment, resentment among Amaras about the Ethiopian state, and partly, as I mentioned earlier, the state is complicit and in, in, in many places directly, in you know perpetrating this genocide. So, the way Amaras see the co contemporary Ethiopia post 1991 Ethiopia is is evolving, and particularly in the past four years, uh, there is openness to explore you know, uh, the, the idea of like the Ethiopian state project. I think as Adam uh, earlier alluded, uh, there was for decades, you know, there was uh, uh, this unspoken principle or rather spoken, if you, if you think from the political party's perspective, that, you know, the state for Amaras is Ethiopia and we're gonna be loyal to that. But as the genocide continues to intensify, uh, people are wondering how much sacrifice are we willing to endure for this uh, state that's hostile to Amaras to continue, and what is the gain and 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 this you know advantage and disadvantage in letting these uh, atrocities uh, continue uh, unabated? I think that has led into you know discussions about what is alternative to the to the status quo. Uh, I think this. Like the past, there is a realization now that whatever Ethiopia would be will be a decision that Amaras will have to make with other uh, actors, with other ethnic groups, and therefore there's a need for dialogue on that. But we don't have control over that. And but if we go by experience of how the other, the non Amara elites have responded to atrocities against Amaras. I think it's almost, you know, as if justifying those those atrocities, uh, denying is 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 a you know a decades long experience. But it has come to a point where people are or elites are saying like, yeah, you, that's 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 right, sort of thing. So uh, I think that has led into some discussions that uh, Adam earlier alluded as fringe about, you know, what is the possibility of, you know. Uh, imagining uh, a, a different kind of nation state, and is that even a practical? At this point, that's I think really loosely, um, loosely connected kind of conversation happening, 
mostly on social media. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, I think, a direction or a, a development that really uh, is worth paying attention to because unless we do something about this, you know, this idea would be, you know, uh, uh, appealing to many people. Uh, uh, that's why I think I alluded to that, uh, to that development. In terms of what is the roadmap and uh, Amara's view uh, on Ethiopian state, I think, you know, the Amaras have always said cultural rights need to be protected. Right? The question is about ethnic homeland and this, you know, apartheid model of like dividing the country along, along, uh, along ethnic lines. There's this misinformation saying like, you know, Amaras want unity or they don't support, you know, federalism or they want to bring back uh, decades old uh, you know, or previous uh, systems. For one thing, like there's nothing Amaras would gain by restoring the past because just like everybody else, they were also victims and there is no point in bringing back whatever the past is. Um, and second, I think there is, a, there is a recognition that Ethiopia is multilingual and therefore cultural rights, linguistic rights need to be protected. But when it comes to you know, um, ethnic homelands or, or, or this uh, idea that, you know, people have to reside in their own homelands. There was no base to introduce that because no single region in Ethiopia is homogeneous. So it doesn't make to anticipate or to assume that in, in dividing the country. So that has to be modified and anyone living in Ethiopia, regardless of where they are located, should enjoy human rights and political representation. That is, in a way, a, a kind of a, a roadmap that Amaras have been pushing for decades. Um, and, and I think nothing has changed in that sense. Uh, quickly on the Amara regional state cohesiveness, I think um, for those people who are saying Amaras don't support federalism, I would invite them to look into the regional constitution, the Amara region constitution. It says, you know, sovereignty resides in all the people that reside in Amara region, unlike Ben Shangul Gumis and like Oromia, which really recognize only their uh, ethnic, ethnic group that are considered as owners of that region. But also uh, Amara region is, is multilingual. In a sense, there's recognition of different languages, Oromia, Oromfa, uh, we and other languages are used as part of administration, as part of curriculum. And that is, I think, a model we can, we can build on uh, uh, to me. So the, why it is not cohesive is because this diversity and the fact that the region has recognized these diversities, unlike the approach from other regions, which refuse to recognize and, and impose you know, a, a cohesiveness by force, the region recognized this diversity and that's been exploited by other elites to further weaken the region and the Mara's position vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis them. And therefore the cohesiveness, I think, is, is, a, is a, 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 an external imposed issue that should be resolved through dialogue. And I don't see any much, uh, obviously with the war and everything, uh, things are heating up and there's contestation uh, everywhere, but for decades, I think the Mara region needs to be stable. And, and even if you know, there was human rights violation by the state uh, actors against political dissidents, there was not targeted um, uh, ethnic killing, uh, at, you know, or at least the scale is not that, as high as, as a region. So 
the, the region in a sense is cosy because it has recognized uh, the, 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 the diversity within it. But there are attempts by, you know, other elites from other regions to really exploit that and divide Amaras along geography, along ideology. And the intention is really to uh, weaken them from pushing uh, the, the roadmap I, I, I uh, presented earlier. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Uh, Adam, I'll give you, if you have any last comments to make, uh, it's right. your... Uh... It's your uh, your platform. Please go. Thank you. Um, so that is thanks. I think our, you know she she said Ethiopia is going to change. I would, I would say it has changed significantly already, um, and there's no time to, to delve into it. But it's Ethiopia is not um, at the moment, uh, not even compared to what, what you know 2018. Um, and so the country has changed. Um, the point that Adam made about about four six. Um, in, indeed, you know, there, there are obviously um, voices that are biased. You know, we know some, some voices, that, some people that have taken positions um, and are hardening on particular narrative. Um, at, the, at the same time, we should not also be too, you know, too defensive. Uh, and we should not externalize our problems. Uh, primarily, it is an Ethiopian problem. Um, and of course, every time you fight... Will be actors that advantage of your situation. As a country, Ethiopia is not an island. Um, it's not an island. Whatever happens in Ethiopia affects what happens not just in the in the Horn of Africa but across the world. So you cannot you cannot say that the, the rest of the world has nothing uh, to say ab about about Ethiopia. And that's one. Uh, and and secondly, and this is also very very important. Um, it's very important to make a distinction between bias and mistakes. I think we tend to think that everyone uh, that disagrees with us is biased. Um, uh, but one, you know, the disagreement is not necessarily inaccurate. And two, most importantly, we have to uh, assume also that um, these actors actually make mistakes. The assumption that the West has, uh, you know, the biggest eyes and the biggest capabilities uh, that they are omnip omnipotent, that they don't make mistakes. So whatever they do and say is calculated, is completely wrong. It's almost colonialist, in fact. Um, they don't know everything. They don't understand everything. And so they make mistakes as much as we do. So we have to always be open to the possibility uh, that whatever happens and whatever they say is a consequence of mistakes and not just bias. It's very important. And, and finally, and this is very important in terms of the team that we're talking about, uh, yes, Amharas in particular, and particularly in the last four or five years, have been victims of um, uh, of physical violence, reputational violence, uh, and not just within Ethiopia, but, but uh, globally. Um, but we must remember that the, the problems are structural. Uh, the problems are, 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 you know, the problem that we have now um, is based on a particular narrative and the only way to address this narrative is to confront it. It's the elephant in the room, and so we have to confront it. And the only way to confront it is uh, through a national dialogue process to, to lead to a political settlement. Um, and so any other way, you know, we can complain about the killing. Uh, we can talk about accountability. And, and, and unless we thoroughly, you know, our ultimate objective should be to enable a political settlement in the country confront our demons, confront the elephant in the room, and, and find an agreement that everybody can, can live with. Um, and without a political settlement, without a democracy, 
um, the, 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 the rights of Amharas, not just outside of the region, but uh, Amharas within their own region would not be protected. And I, I want to just say that uh, if you want to find places where minorities are best protected, look at the democracies are the ones that protect minorities the best. So push for political settlement, push for democracy. Um, without p political settlement and democracy, and I, I, I'll conclude with this, Ethiopia cannot be, cannot be, again, authoritarian and peaceful. And an authoritarian country that is not peaceful is bad for Amharas and it's bad for all Ethiopians. Thank you. So with that, I just want to thank uh, Honey Adam for joining us today, for speaking. Um, it's a very complex issue, um, but you've helped us understand uh, a lot. Um, I know, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to collaborate and, and to have a discussion. It was done in a civil manner. Uh, I, I was worried that there would be, you know, some attacks because sometimes on Twitter there are, but, but this was a very wonderful discussion. So I want to thank everyone. Please give the speakers a follow. Uh, please follow our institute. We're going to be continuing to do events online and on Twitter spaces. Um, and, um, and just remember, human rights are everyone's rights and everyone deserves to live in peace and security. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone and uh, have a wonderful day. Hey, Tyle, if I can just um, just say a few closing remarks here. Please. Yeah, thank you. And uh, everyone, this is uh, Teodros Turfe, chairman of the Amhara Association of America. Again, I just want to thank uh, Kyle and the Mix Institute for uh, hosting this wonderful event. And, and Adam, uh, Bebe, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, I think your comments were really enlightening. I, I've learned a lot from listening to you today. And um, I hope that everyone here uh, who, who listened uh, will follow Kyle, uh, Mix, um, Adam, and also Hone. Um, and this is the type of conversation that we need to have about what's happening to Amaras in the context of this war uh, regarding Amara genocide, but also um, with uh, just the broader Ethiopia as well. So thank you for joining us. And um, Kyle, thank you for really hosting this, uh, this event. I uh, appreciate it.